Open your Bibles, if you will, please, to James. James, the first chapter. And for emphasis' sake, I'm going to be reading what Roger read for us a few moments ago from James chapter 1, beginning at verse 13, to introduce our lesson for this morning. James 1, beginning at verse 13. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Let me read verse 15 again, just in case you didn't get that. Listen to what it says. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. This morning, I want to talk to you about the horribleness of sin. I picked this particular picture. It doesn't show up well on the screen. Uh, but that's supposed to be the, a picture of the walking dead. And um, it was a lot brighter on my computer, so I apologize for that. But if you've ever seen the television show, The Walking Dead, or, or heard about it, basically it's about a bunch of people who have died and they're still walking around. Well, that's what James is talking about in James chapter 1 and verse 15. He's telling us that even though we may be breathing, even though we may be eating, Even though we may be walking about, he says, sin makes you dead. When a person sins, it brings forth death. The reason why it brings forth death is because it separates us from the source of life, and that source of life is God Almighty. In Isaiah chapter 59 and verses 1 and 2, Isaiah talking about God, he says, God's hand is not so short that he cannot save nor is his ear dull of hearing that he cannot hear. But he goes on and says, But your sins have separated you from him, and your iniquities have caused him not to hear you. He hides his face from you. Sometimes we don't realize the horribleness of sin. Sin is an awful, terrible, horrible thing. And whenever we think about sin, or even if when when we're guilty of sin, it should bring horror to us that we would do such a thing, that we would be involved in such a thing. And so I think today would be appropriate if we spend some time, if you will, talking about the horribleness of sin. Three points for your consideration that I hope that you'll take take to heart. First of all, this morning, I want to remind you that sin is horrible because of what sin is. We live in a society today where we're constantly bombarded by sin. Uh, Sin is the norm. Uh, Sin is really what the world is all about now. And we get so used to seeing sin all around us. And sometimes we get so used to our own sin that we 
uh, develop a callous attitude toward it. Uh, We lose our feeling toward it, and we really don't really understand what sin is. In fact, when we sin in our own lives, oftentimes uh, we think about our own sin, and we say, well, you know, I know it's a sin because the Bible tells me it's a sin, but since it's my sin, it's really not that bad. Now, what's funny about that is if we see that same sin in somebody else, we will say to ourselves, oh, wow, I can't believe that person did that. Oh, I can't believe they're involved in that. Oh, they need to be punished. They need to be corrected. They need to be taken care of. I sure hope God judges them. But if we commit a sin, we sometimes think, well, you know, it's not that bad. You see, we're forgetting what sin is. In 2 Samuel Chapter 12, there's the story of Nathan the prophet coming to King David. Now, keep in mind what King David had did and why Nathan was there to see him. David had taken Bathsheba, another man's wife. Bathsheba had gotten pregnant. In order to hide what he had done with Bathsheba, he, he had Uriah, his, her uh, husband, basically put to death. And then after he was dead, he married Bathsheba and thought, well, this is going to take care of everything. Well, Nathan comes to him to confront him about this particular sin, but Nathan was smart. He was inspired by the Holy Spirit, and Nathan comes to David, and he tells him a story about a man who only had one sheep. And this man who had only one sheep, he had a neighbor that had all kinds of sheep. He was was a wealthy man and had just sheep after sheep after sheep. But this one man next door to him only had one sheep. And the man who had many sheep went and took and killed that sheep for, for a dinner from that one man. Took that one thing that that man had. Nathan's explaining all this to David, and David is just getting all mad and all fired up, and he says, well, this man needs to be put to death. This man needs to be, have his, uh, have his uh, sheep given back to him for full that was taken away from him. David was just outraged that this man was be, be treated this way. What an awful, awful sin this man committed. And Nathan says, David, you're that man. And when David heard about somebody else doing something, which was the same thing that he did, he thought, oh, that was terrible. But when David committed the sin, he really didn't think that much about it. He just tried to cover it up. The other day, I don't even remember what we were talking about. Um, I don't even know what, I still don't, can't remember the discussion at all. In fact, I was trying to think in my mind what we were talking about. But I mentioned to Karen about uh, many, many years ago, there was a poet by the name of Robert Burns who wrote a, a little uh, title of the poem was The Louse. And he's sitting in church, believe it or not, and there's this louse in this woman's head. And he can't concentrate on the sermon because this woman has a louse in her hair and she's all dressed up and has a beautiful hairdo and this, she can, he can see this louse in her hair moving around. And he has a line in the poem that goes like this. Word, word the giver, he's Scottish by the way and, and has a brogue to it, would, would the giver gift us the gift to see, to, to see ourselves as others see us? Would the gifter give us the gift to see ourselves as others see us? 
We need to sometimes just simply look in the mirror and think about our sin, think about the things we have done in the past, the things that we're tempted to do in the future, and really see sin for what sin is instead of thinking about what other people may do or maybe what other people are guilty of. There comes a time when we have to look at ourselves and say, what am I guilty of? And if I'm guilty of sin, we need to appreciate the fact what sin is. And simply defined as this. Sin is going against the character, the nature, and the will of God. When we sin, we basically are slapping in the face the one who created each and every one of us. When we sin, we're basically saying, God Almighty, I know you're the most powerful being in the universe. I know that you hold my destiny in your hands. I know that you are the one who made me. You're the one who sustains me. But I just simply don't care. Sin means that I, when I commit it, that I'm going against the same God who loves me and blesses me and takes care of me and just does all these wonderful, wonderful things that he does for me on a daily basis, from the small little things to the great and wonderful things. And I'm looking at this loving, giving God and say, God, I don't care. God, I despise you. Literally, that's what sin is. It's despising God. In fact, the same discussion we talked about with David and with Nathan Notice what Nathan tells David. He says in 2 Samuel chapter 12, beginning at verse 9, he says, Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? First of all, sin is despising the word of the Lord. You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you... Now, listen to what it says. This is God speaking. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. Do you realize that regardless of the sin, whether it be a little bitty sin, such as somebody might call a little white lie, or a great and enormous sin where maybe you took someone's life. Sin is sin, and when you commit sin, what is it? It is despising God. Can you imagine despising the Almighty? Can you imagine despising the one who has so greatly loved us and given us so many things? But that's what sin is. Sin is horrible. Sin should create a horror in us that we are guilty of despising God. That should make a shudder. That should just should make a pit create in our stomach that we would do such a thing, that we would actually despise God Almighty. But yet, each and every one of us are guilty of it. There's not a person here in this room who has not sinned, and therefore there's not a person in here who has not despised God sometime in their life. 
You may not want to hear it. You may not think of it being that bad, but the Bible is very clear. When you sin, you despise God. That's what sin is. That's ugly. That's horrible. That should make us realize the horror, the horribleness of sin. But think about something else. Not only what sin is, but think about the price that was paid for it. Think about the price that was paid for sin. First Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 20, the Apostle Paul says, You have been bought with a price. You have been paid for. There was a price paid for you. What was that price that was paid for you? Well, John chapter 3 and verse 16 tells us, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, Whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God gave his only begotten son. He gave the very best of heaven. He gave a perfect man. He gave a man that was perfectly good because he had to pay the price for something that was perfectly evil. Talking about sin. The very best that heaven had to give had to take the place, had to pay the price for the worst that the world had to offer. And that was sin. You can understand and appreciate the horribleness of sin when you think about what it cost. When Jesus died on the cross, it wasn't the Jews that killed him. When Jesus died on the cross, it wasn't the Romans that killed him. When Jesus died on the cross, it was sin that killed him. I killed him. You killed him. Jesus died because of your sin. The price that was paid was Jesus Christ. Sin was so ugly that the ultimate price had to be paid. Now, I believe in my heart of hearts, if there was any other way, if God could have had to found any other way in order to take care of mankind and save mankind, he would have thought of it. But you see, sin is so ugly. Sin is so horrible. The price that had to be paid to take care of it was the perfect Son of God, Jesus Christ. The only way the price could be paid is with the perfect goodness to take care of perfect evil. It's the only way that the scales would balance out. So... Going back to what James says in James chapter 1 when um, we're tempted and that temptation is trying to lead us down the path of sin, we need to remember that the price that was paid for it, the cost that was paid for it, and realize how horrible it it was that Jesus Christ had to die for each and every one of us. But then I'm going to spend a little bit more time on this particular point we come up next because I think you understand what sin is. I think you understand the price that was paid for it. But there are times when we need to be reminded of some other things when it comes to sin. And this is a very important point. We need to be reminded about the horrible punishment it receives. It's interesting, starting at the very first book in the Bible, the book of Genesis, and going through the Old Testament, There's a theme there that is supposed to be appreciated as we move into the New Testament. 
Even though it's not talked about a lot in the New Testament as far as history is concerned, we only have one case, and we're going to talk about that in just a moment. But as you go through the Old Testament, um, time after time, a history is presented of something that happens to people here on this earth when they sin. With sin, there's punishment. Beginning in the Garden of Eden, Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve were in a beautiful, beautiful home, a paradise here on this earth. And they basically were allowed to do whatever they wanted to do in this pristine paradise. God basically gave them one commandment. You see that tree over there? You stay away from it. You don't eat of it. But Adam and Eve despised the will of God. Listened to the tempter who showed himself in the form of a servant. And they partook of that fruit that was forbidden by God. Because of that, they ushered in the heartache, the pain that all of us feel today when different circumstances fill our lives. They were run out of the Garden of Eden. They were removed from paradise. They were punished for their sin. In Genesis chapter 6, God looked down at the world and He saw that the whole world was engaged in evil. And He repented even that He had made man But there was a faithful man, a righteous man by the name of Noah. And so he decided to destroy the world. And of course he saved Noah and his family. But the point I want you to think about today, the world was engaged in sin and God destroyed it. You move over into the book of Genesis, you get to chapter 19. There's a city there by the name of Sodom, and there's a city there by the name of Gomorrah. And God tells Abraham that he's going to destroy those cities because of their sin. They're going to be punished. And, and of course, Abraham put them off for a while. He says, well, if I find a certain number of righteous people there, will you spare it? And God said, yes. No, uh, Abraham went and looked. Oh, I couldn't find that many. Let me try to drop it down a little bit more. God, if I find this many, will you save it? Yes, I'll save it. I'll, he went and looked couldn't find it. So God finally decided to destroy the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. There's a family living in there, relatives of Abraham, Lot and his wife. And they were given warning that the cities were going to be destroyed, but God also gave them a commandment. He said, don't look back. When I'm destroying this city, don't you look back. You just keep moving on. You move away from this evil city. You don't have anything to do with it again. But as that fire and hailstorm came down onto the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, as Lot and his family were leaving, running away from the destruction, the destruction of the punishment of God, evidently Lot's wife still had some fond memories of living in that city, that city of sin. And so she turned back and looked. And she was instantly turned into a pillar of salt. It's no wonder Jesus says in Luke 17 and verse 32, Remember Lot's wife. You see, very early in the history of God's word, he's trying to get us to understand that there is something going on here. He that will despise the will of God, there is punishment involved. In Leviticus chapter 10, we have the story of two priests by the name of Nahadab and Abihu who thought upon themselves that they would just kind of take on the uh, changing of what was supposed to be burned in the temple as far as the incense for prayers. They offered a different incense than what the law prescribed. 
fire came down from heaven and destroyed them immediately as they were offering that incense. Seems kind of harsh. I mean, that's not a simple thing. But the point that that God is setting up very early in the book of Genesis and throughout the law of Moses is that if you despise the will of God, you're going to be punished. Now, I mentioned a few moments ago, as you move into the New Testament, you don't see examples of this. It's a different kind of age. They were now living under a new law. But almost because of the fact that God wanted to let people know that it's still the case in the New Testament age, in the Christian age, the first time we read of a sin being committed in the church, remember what God did? Remember when Ananias and Sapphira came in and lied about what they were giving to the church? God struck them dead. Now, we don't read of that happening anywhere else in the New Testament. When people did something they weren't supposed to do in the church, God's striking them dead. And so the question might be asked, well, why this one case? Well, we don't know for sure, but I think it's to let us know that God hadn't changed his mind. (laughs) When you get into the New Testament age, even living under the blood of Christ, God hasn't changed his mind just like he was in the Old Testament. If there's going to be the despising of the will of God, if there's going to be sin... There is going to be punishment. Don't you forget that, God says. Here in the infancy of the church, in the very first church of Christ in Jerusalem, very first business meeting, if you will, they bring someone in because they're concerned about something that's going on and they just decided that they would lie. God struck both this husband and wife dead. I haven't changed my mind. Sin still brings punishment. And that's why when you get into the New Testament, the New Testament is full of warnings. 2 Peter chapter 2, beginning at verse 4, he says, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them into gloomy dungeons to be held for judgment, If he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on this ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others. If he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them what? An example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. Those who will despise God. You see... Peter's saying the same thing I just said. The Old Testament is full of examples where sin means punishment. Hebrews chapter 10, beginning at verse 26, if we sin deliberately, or if if we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified him, who has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, It is mine to avenge. I will repay, and again, 
the Lord will judge his people. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. That horrifies me. And it should horrify me. And the reason why it should horrify me is because sin is horrible because of the punishment that is involved. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that they can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after the killing of the body, has the power to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done in his body, whether good or bad. Just as a man is destined to die once, and after that, to face judgment. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. I don't know how many times you've looked at that particular verse. That verse, of course, is the great judgment scene of Matthew chapter 25, where he divides his uh, creation into the right and left, to the sheep and to the goats. And, of course, those on his left receive this particular uh, pronouncement, this particular sentence. But the thing that sometimes we forget, we are going to, into a place, an eternal place, a place that is torment, that has been specifically prepared for the devils and his angels. Now, think about that just for a moment. Let that sink in just for a moment. And so, I, I want to be clear about this. So, I wrote this up on the screen. I want you to see. The horribleness of sin is seen in that sinners spend eternity with the devil and his angels. And folks, there's only one conclusion I can draw from that. And it's simply this. Therefore, sin makes a devil out of you and me. Sin is horrible. When we're tempted to sin, we need to think about the horror of it. We need to think about the horribleness of it. We need to think about what sin is. Sin is despising God Almighty who loves each and every one of us. Sin is horrible because it costs the very life of the Son of God. And sin is horrible because of the horrible consequences that are involved. Now, if I stop right there and you leave here and you feel pretty bad about yourself, and you should, because as I said, there's not a single person here that hasn't sinned. And as I said earlier, you should feel bad about yourself and feel the horror of it all when you think about the fact that the reason why Jesus died on the cross is because of my sins. I killed him. You should be, horror, be full of horror that it was your sins that killed Jesus Christ. You killed him. But I don't want you to leave here without hope. I don't want you to leave here without thinking about the fact that Although sin is, uh, sin is ugly, it's horrible, God gave us the most beautiful thing in the world. He gave us His grace, and He gave us the blood of Jesus Christ. Going back to the prophet Isaiah, there in, in Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 18, 
You remember what Isaiah told the people of God who had sinned? He says, come now, let us reason together. Here's something very reasonable. Think about this for a moment. Don't pass this up. This is, this is something that you should consider. Come now, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they can be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they can be as wool. What's that, God? Even though sin is horrible, even though sin costs the life of Jesus Christ, even though sin deserves punishment, you're telling me that even though my sins may be as scarlet and as red and as heinous as they can ever be, they can be as white as snow. I can have my sins washed away. That's right. That's, that's the good news of the gospel. That's why it's such good news that even though sin is despising God and I'm guilty, even though my sin costs the life of Jesus Christ and I'm guilty, even though sin deserves punishment and I deserve that punishment because I'm guilty. Listen to the words that Ananias told Paul, a man who was guilty of killing Christians. In Acts 22 and verse 16, he says, And now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. I can have my sins washed away. All I need to simply do is obey the commandments of God that culminate in being baptized for the remission of my sins. Doesn't seem fair, does it? That's the thing that's always astonished me. And that's the thing I think all of us deal with sometimes when it comes to our own souls. We just can't comprehend the fairness of that. I feel like I'm getting away with something. Things I've done in the past, all those are, are, are erased. They no longer exist, no matter how bad they were. No matter what I did, no matter how I lived, no matter what I was involved in, everything that I've done in the past is like it's never happened. They don't exist any longer. I can be forgiven even though I know how horrible sin is. I can be forgiven. Yes, that's the good news of the gospel. Doesn't seem right, does it? Doesn't seem fair. It doesn't even seem possible. But folks, that is the grace of God. That's the perfect blood of Jesus Christ. We've not been redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold that our forefathers were so interested in earlier days, but we have been redeemed with the precious blood of the Lamb without spot and without blemish. Here's something else that doesn't seem fair. You know, after I became a Christian, I know this might surprise some of you, but after I became a Christian many years ago, I'm not going to share with you what they were. I'm not going to share with you whether they were little or whether they were big, but, you know, I messed up a few times. Well, let's change that. I messed up many times. But yet we have the words of 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, if we say that we have no sin, uh, the truth is not in us and it makes, us, makes God a liar. But yet, if we confess our sins, 
He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. My little, my little children, I write these things unto you that you sin not. This is not an excuse to sin. I write these things unto you that you sin not. But if any man sins, he has an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the Lord. Literally in the text, he is the one that took our place. He is the one that paid the debt. He is the propitiation of our sins. Now, what I want you to think about as we leave here today, go back to the very first scripture about how that sin bringeth forth death there in James chapter 1 and verse 15, and think about the horribleness of sin. And let that be the guideline that kind of guides our conscience and guides our actions. But yet at the same time, all that are in earshot of my voice understand that sin is not the end. All it does is open up a doorway to allow you to be saved. And so if you're here this morning and you're still carrying the burden of sin, if you still feel how that because of the horribleness of your sin, and sin is horrible, that you're going to spend eternity in hell, a horrible place. We hope you won't pass this day up. If you're here and you're not a Christian, we hope that you, because of your faith, repentance, and confession, that you too, like the Apostle Paul, will have your sins washed away in baptism. But if you're here today and you're a Christian and you're carrying some kind of burden with you, remember what God says, and God doesn't lie. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us all cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's no exception to that rule. You're not some kind of special case. Uh, You're not different from anybody else. That applies to everybody. Just as the blood of Jesus Christ applied to everybody, just the way that obeying the gospel applies to everybody, that also applies to everybody who is a Christian. God doesn't lie. He says in the text, He is faithful. He does what He says. And He says if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins even though sin is horrible, so horrible. Won't you come as together we stand and sing?